John chapter 9, let's dive into the text, beginning with verse 1. We read now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, for a measure of context, Jesus has just exited the temple. He's exited the temple complex. He's making his way through some of the winding streets of downtown Jerusalem. When John tells us he sees this man, who he observes had been blind from birth. Now the first thing that you need to take away from John's description is that Jesus saw. In fact, if you, if you like underlining or circling or highlighting, that word saw, I love that word. Jesus saw a man. The reason that word strikes me is that in the original Greek language, this word saw it implies both a perception as well as an intent. It's not that Jesus just stopped what he was doing and started staring at someone. It's that he was not just staring, but he was seeing something that no one else could see. He saw a man, the man. Now, while we can reason the man that Jesus saw this day was not elderly, and we can reason that because later on in the passage, you'll find out, you'll discover that his parents are still alive. The truth, we have no idea how old this man was, probably at least out of adolescence. Regardless of his age, it's tragic, isn't it, that he had been blind from birth. It seems, most likely, that this man's blindness had been the result of some kind of congenital birth defect. What that means is that his blindness had been the result, had not been the result, of like an accident or a misstep. Like the man hadn't become blind, nor had he been maimed and resulted in blindness. Like this poor soul, this man, had been born into darkness, complete darkness, and he had remained in that state his entire life. Like keep in mind, this man, unlike some other blind people that you'll read about in the scriptures, he had never seen, ever. He had never seen a thing. Like, imagine that. Like, this man has never witnessed the amazing colors of a sunrise. He's never seen the deep hues of a sunset. He's never seen his father's face or gazed into the eyes of a loving mother. This man is alive, that is true. But has he ever really lived? Because of his blindness, so much of his life remained a mystery. And what's worse is, unlike a person who eventually loses their sight, the man didn't even know what he was missing. In many ways, the man was simply ignorant to the full scope of the reality that existed around him. He had never seen and never would. Now, what makes this detail provided by John that he was blind from birth so fascinating? is that of the five instances recorded in the Gospels where Jesus heals someone of blindness, this is the only time we're specifically told that the individual was born in such a condition. Again, for just kind of a measure of context, Jesus has left a truly frustrating conversation with the religious leaders just moments before he sees this man inside of the temple frustrating conversation. One that actually resulted in people picking up stones wanting to kill him. Why? Because he claimed divinity. Jesus said, 
that before Abraham was, I am. And they didn't like that. So he leaves the temple. He's working his way through these streets, and he stops because he sees this man who had been born blind. And I believe one of the reasons that this man caught his attention is that he presented, not just for those that were there that day, but for all of us, a perfect illustration of humanity. Humanity that has been blinded by the ignorance of sin. Not only were the religious men blind, so what was the obvious truth right in front of them? That Jesus was indeed the promised Messiah. But the religious establishment, they lacked even the basic awareness to know what they were missing. They were blind in every sense. They were ignorant. They were lost. Jesus saw a blind man, and it reminded him of the men he had just had a conversation with. Now, as the scene unfolds, it becomes evident to the disciples that Jesus has grown enamored, maybe even obsessed, by this particular blind man sitting on the side of the road, more than likely, we're not told, but you can imagine, begging for alms. They notice Jesus stops, that Jesus is staring, that he's perceiving, he's looking intently. They're like, what's he looking at? They pinpoint it, they, they identify, which prompts the disciples, you know, to ask a logical theological question, you know, something relevant to the situation. They ask Rabbi Jesus, since you're so fascinated by this guy, we have to ask, like who sinned? His parents or the man? Like what resulted, what sin resulted in his blindness? Look at verse 3, Jesus answered, he says to them, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the work of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. You know, consistent to the theological thought of the day. The disciples' question here centers on causation. What was the cause of the man's blindness? You see, the Jews, they believe that physical maladies were most typically the direct result of sin. And therefore, a physical malady such as blindness was to be seen as being the evidence of some type of divine judgment. And to be fair with these men, they had some justification for this, this position. I mean, the Old Testament is filled with all kinds of examples, many examples, in fact, validating such a thought. Like the men of Sodom and Gomorrah were struck with blindness, right? Before the city was destroyed. Elisha prayed and God caused a blindness to fall on the Syrian army. Moses' sister Miriam mouthed off and what happened? She was struck with leprosy because she challenged his authority. So there are examples of this. That said, the one complication with this theological explanation as to the physical maladies was undoubtedly the existence of, well, birth defects. Like, what do you do with a birth defect? This man had been born blind, and as a result, the disciples are wondering if his subsequent blindness was the result of a parental sin, which would make him a victim, 
or if his blindness was the result, and this was another thought of the day, of some prenatal sin, a sin committed by this man while he was in the womb that resulted in judgment. Either way, the disciples were, were confident that the man, his blindness, had to have been the result of judgment. He was being punished for something. And yet, how surprised, right? These men must have been when Jesus' response to them directly dispels this conventional assumption. You know, while avoiding a much larger conversation, Jesus makes it very clear to them, right? That the man's blindness was, was not the result of his sin. And nor was it the result of some sin committed by his parents. Implying that his condition, the fact he had been born blind, was not to be seen by anyone as being divine judgment or some type of punishment. Instead, Jesus actually then takes it one step further, which is more provocative. He says the man had been born not born blind, not because of sin, but, but and then he explains, there is a reason, and he says that the works of God should be revealed in him. That's heavy. In the Greek, the word <coughs> works is ergon. It, it means business, or, or more specifically, that which is that which one is occupied with. Uh, additionally, this word revealed, that the works, the business of God, might be revealed. That word revealed, it means to make manifest, or, or to become visible, to be made known what was hidden. As to the question of the causation, the origin of the man's blindness, Jesus answers that his, his condition wasn't a consequence of any sin, but had been allowed into this man's life to create an opportunity by which God was going to work and ultimately reveal himself to the man. <laughs> and it's, a, it's a radical idea, but you could translate what Jesus is saying as, hey guys, uh, this man, he, he was born blind, not because of his sin. Uh, he, was not, he was not born blind because of his parents' sin. In fact, he was born blind, so hold on, I could do this. Verse 6. So when Jesus had said these things, he spat on the ground. My mom always said that it was, it was not appropriate to spit. Jesus spit. So, just being Christ-like. He spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. How bizarre. And then Jesus anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay he's just made. Or literally, he, he spread the clay onto his eyes. Like sheetrock mud. And then Jesus said to him, which had to have been obvious, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. Like, what a crazy scene to have been present for. Jesus has been staring down a blind man. Has a theological conversation. It's like, oh, this is his blindness. It was so I could do this. And then he walks over, and he hawks a big loogie into the dirt. Right, you know? I mean, he gets a good one. He's got to make some clay out of it. So it's just a good, this is not spittle. This is a spit, southern spit. And then he stoops down, and he starts rubbing the spit into the dirt 
to make a tacky substance. And you're standing there like, what is he doing? This is strange. And then it gets stranger because he stands up with this tacky, spitted dirt clay in his hands, this mixture, and he, and he, and he starts covering the man's eyes with the mud. He has no idea what it was coming. Why? Because he's blind. He never saw it coming. And, and what's amazing is that no one, like, steps in to stop Jesus. And not only that, but the, but the blind man doesn't, doesn't resist, doesn't put up a fight. I mean, the whole thing, if you're standing there, had to have been awkward. Go to the optometrist one day. He's like, well, your, your eyes are not very good. And he spits on the floor and starts, hold still, right? I mean, it, it is, it's as strange today as it would have been then. And what makes it all more bizarre is notice what's absent. I could quali- there's no qualification. There's no explanation. Like Jesus doesn't even tell the man that what he's doing is to restore his sight. You know, the man feels the mud. Don't worry, you're going to see at the end of this. Like, there's no explanation. Additionally, then the instructions to go and to wash also aren't tethered to any promises. Like, all Jesus says to the man after he's caked clay on his face is to go and wash it off. Wash out his eyes. <laughs> Which, again, duh, because someone has just rubbed dirt in them. Well, it's safe to say, that the situation had to have been bizarre for this blind man. Yeah, I'm not so sure that the disciples had any idea what was going on either. You know, I mentioned earlier that Jesus, he heals people of blindness. In fact, it was one of the, the things that he pre- predicted, that he foretold that he would do when he entered Nazareth. Nazareth, and he opened the scroll to Isaiah the prophet. He said that he had come, what was one of the things, for the blind to see. So healing people of blindness was part of Jesus' M.O. It was one of the things he had declared he had come to do. And so he records throughout the gospel records uh, blindness on five different occasions. This, by the way, happens to be, if you place them all into some type of chronology, the third instance of Jesus healing someone of blindness. The other two, the disciples had been present for. If you're a note taker, I'll give you a quick summary of them. In Matthew 9, we're given the first account of Jesus healing two men of blindness. And he does so by touching their eyes. And the second, recorded in Mark 8, Jesus spits directly into someone's eye. After this third instance, in Luke 11, so the fourth, Jesus will heal a man of blindness by casting out a demon that had been responsible. And lastly, as he's making his way through Jericho at the end of his ministry, one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible, Jesus stops and he heals blind Bartimaeus. And how does he heal him? Spit into his eyes, putting clay into his eyes, casting out. Nope, Jesus just spoke to him and healed him. That event is recorded in Mark 10. My point in listing these is that there was absolutely no precedent for what Jesus was doing here. Like when Jesus spits into the the dirt, it wasn't as though the disciples were like, oh, (laughs) seen this one before. This is his go-to move. There was none of that. Like he's healed people of blindness, touching, spitting. 
never before in the dirt, rubbing, rubbing clay. Now, obviously, the takeaway is that Jesus is hammering home an idea that the mechanism for the healing had nothing to do with the healing, right? It's almost as Jesus kind of like toys with him. Every time they think, oh, we can now heal blindness, he does it a different way. Like, it's not the way, it's me. I'm the one healing people of blindness. But we should ask, we should ask, we should consider, like, why does Jesus, especially if he could have just spoken, said, you can see, you can see. If he could have done, like, like why go through this dramatic, theatrical kind of display? Like, why do it that way? Now, there are some who suppose that Jesus incorporated such a strange approach to discourage anyone from ever trying to do it themselves. Which I can understand, because if I ever got the notion to go up and heal someone of blindness, spitting in the dirt and caking their eyes with the mud, is it, that's not going to be my go-to, right? So maybe the, he's trying to discourage the followers of ever replicating it. But, but I believe, beyond that, that it's the context of the last few days and specifically the context of some events that had been recorded in John 7 and 8 related to the Feast of Tabernacles that provide us two other explanations for why Jesus would do this in this way. And kind of bear with me, I'm going to be recapping a little of what we won't study in depth. But that very morning, again, as mentioned, Jesus has just declared of himself using the term I am, the great I am. I am that I am. Before Abraham was, I am. It was a claim of deity. Everyone understood it. Jesus was claiming to be the God of the Old Testament, which is why they wanted to kill him for it. With that in mind, though, I don't find it to be much of a coincidence then that Jesus, he selects the very building blocks that he used to form the first man to now repair this man's sight. And what was it? Dirt. In Genesis 2, verse 7, we read that God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. You know, for those who might find such a, a miracle of healing the blind man, a man born blind, to be preposterous, please know <laughs> it is completely logical to believe the very God that made man from the dust of the ground would also have the power and the ability to repair a broken part of man using the same materials, the dust of the ground. Aside from the fact that Jesus is performing a miracle here to validate, to demonstrate his deity, the instruction for the man to go and to wash, specifically in the pool of Siloam, is also significant. Now, connecting back to a priestly procedure related to the Feast of Tabernacles, the day before, the Festival of Lights. The Pool of Siloam was the very location that the, temples, the temple priests would go and draw out water. And then there was this water offering that they would do. And everyone would be on the Temple Mount. They would all be silent. Now, the day before, as they're doing this, what does Jesus do? He interrupts the silence. And he cries out, if anyone thirsts, they're pouring water out. Is this, if anyone's thirsty... Come to me and let him drink. And it's with that that going and washing in the pool of Siloam, I think, also carries with it significance and, and, and furthers establish a connection that Jesus is making with this blind man 
and how he relates to the religious establishment that's also blind, blind by their sin. Now, before we get to the larger lesson that we should take from the story, like I want you to, again, just get yourself back into the scene and imagine what this day had been like for this unnamed blind man. As noted, it's the day following the, the, the Feast of Tabernacles. The pilgrims, the masses, they're on their way home, which as a blind man is a good thing. Because you really have to depend on your other senses to navigate the streets, right? The streets being packed, a lot of foreign people, objects around. It's hard to navigate. Like people leaving, people getting back out of town. Like, like things, the street, the noises, everything's getting back to normal. The bustling city whose population had swelled is finally by this point settling back into normal sounds and rhythms that you're, as a blind man, accustomed to, really dependent upon. That morning, this man, he wakes up, he goes about his routine, which leads him to his, his, his customary position, his place on, on beggar's row. My guess, and again, just painting the picture, that at some point that morning, he hears the cry of a distant woman. He has no idea what's going on. It's quite a commotion. He'll find out later that this was a woman who had been caught in adultery that had been brought before Jesus. A little while after the fact, after this, you hear another uproar coming from the temple. Clearly, someone has said something. The mob has been set off. I mean, you're sitting there in darkness at your customary spot, begging, thinking, what in the world is going on? I imagine you hear Jesus, or at least an entourage, making their way down the street. Your faculties heighten when they abruptly stop. Feet stop. I mean, they're close to your location. This man, again blind, probably possessing a bit of a sixth sense, realizes that more than likely there's someone standing there staring at him, staring in his direction. He grows a little uncomfortable. And then his suspicions are confirmed. He hears someone ask, and I'm sure his heart sank just a little. He hears someone ask the question, the question he had heard his whole life about sin and blindness. Pertaining to him. Jesus, was this man born blind because of his sin or his parents? How embarrassing. People standing there openly talking about you and your sin and your blindness. The judgment, the notions and what's worse is the inquiry was directed towards a rabbi. In fact, verse 11 will indicate that while this man might not have known all of the particulars, he knew that Jesus was a rabbi. In all likelihood, knew that this was Jesus. You're sitting there. You brace yourself. Is it his sin or his parents? And you're waiting to hear that your blindness was the judgment of God. That's what you've always been told. That's what you always assumed. But nothing prepares you for what Jesus says, right? I mean, imagine again, in that moment, you're sitting there, you've been blind your whole life, and people have judged you for it. Well, God is punishing you for something. And then you hear Jesus say, you hear Jesus say, no. 
Everything you've thought, that's not true. This man was not born blind because of his sin or his parents' sin. He was born blind so that the works of God might be revealed in him. You know, Jerusalem is not a big place. Gossip moves at the speed of sound. Because you spend your days on the street, you're familiar with what people are saying. You've heard rumors of the healings. You've likely been in earshot to hear Jesus teaching. It's not a crazy assumption. And as you're sitting there pondering the implications of your blindness, not being the evidence of the judgment of God, but instead an opportunity for God to work in your life, you hear footsteps get closer. And what must it have been as Jesus, you hear him, you can't see, you hear the man in front of you, who hasn't judged you, hasn't condemned you, has said this is an opportunity for God to do something amazing, spits in the ground in front of you. And then you sense him stoop down. You don't know what he's doing. You stand up. He stands. You're toe-to-toe with him. You have no idea what's going to happen. And could anything really have prepared you for the moment when Jesus then touches your eyes? Shocked? I mean, the invasion of personal space. I'm sure this man stood there paralyzed to a, to a degree as Jesus is rubbing mud in his eyes. What is he doing? The question overtakes you. Why is he doing this? Was Jesus really who they said he was? What does all of this mean? Finally, when it becomes evident that Jesus has has finished giving you a a facial, you don't think twice about then obeying his instructions to go to the pool of Siloam and wash off the mud. I mean, it doesn't really matter that there's mud over your eyes. You're blind anyway. So, I mean, you go take it off running. You know the streets well enough. You get to the pool of Siloam. What had probably initially been cool to the touch has hardened. Even though you're blind, you still have nerve endings. I'm sure the mud in your eyes, it's it's growing irritating. You're fumbling your way through town. You finally get to the pool's edge. You fall on your chest, and you frantically begin cupping water to your face. Again, nothing could prepare you for what then happens. You're splashing water. As you're doing this, chunks of stiffened mud are falling from your eyes. And then something overwhelming occurs. Like the darkness you've always lived with gets invaded for the first time ever with a bright but probably hazy light. And again, can you imagine being that your heart, I mean, starts racing? I mean, that is an unexpected development. And with each handful of water to your face, loosening the tacky clay from your eyes, more and more light comes rushing in. And then there's color, spectrums of color. And then slowly shapes start to take form. Finally, you can make out images. You can see. Understandably, you're overcome with emotion. The first thing you see. You see your hands, right? Because it's what's bringing the water to your face. 
And then your attention turns to the deep bluish green of the Pool of Siloam. And then what do you see? I mean, you're enraptured by it. But there in the water is a reflection staring right back at you. That's me. That's what I look like. He had never known. I have no doubt that once the the mud was gone and, and he rises to his feet, he surveys his surroundings. Imagine the moment for a man born blind. He could see darkness retreated from from the light. Uncertainty gave way to clarity. What was it like for the man to go back to his familiar street corner? Every mysterious sound now has a meaning. Every intriguing smell, a source. All that this man has ever touched is finally at long last identified. His life immediately gains coherence coherence everything instantly makes sense the shroud is lifted he can for the first time see the world for what it is the world that has always surrounded him john simply tells us there's so much loaded in just one sentence so he went and washed and came back seeing now i'm not going to bore you with all of the science behind it. But, but let me say that this miracle of Jesus fixing whatever it was that was wrong with the man's eyes, the, the, whatever was physically broken, that miracle, while incredible and awesome, is dwarfed by the neurological miracle that also takes place here. You know, it's been said that sight takes place in the eye, but it's the brain where you actually see. And it's true. Like, keep in mind that vision, vision necessitates a chemical library of images that we amass and begin to recall almost instantly following birth. Like, we understand what we see because of this cachet of images. And yet, because this man had been born blind, because he had never seen anything, like simply fixing what was wrong with his eyes wouldn't have given him sight. Definitely wouldn't have given him vision. See, the most amazing thing about this particular miracle in the unique context that he had been born blind is that Jesus not only gave him the ability to see, But Jesus also supernaturally enabled him to make sense of the things he was seeing. The miracle not just fixed whatever was physically wrong, but gave him an entire cachet of life experience and imagery he would need to make sense of anything. Now, with the time that we have left, I want to make five quick observations about this story. First, I want you to know, and please know, that Jesus sees you even when you can't see Him. It's, it's, it's a very simple, but I think a profound lesson from this story, and personally, I'm so encouraged by that reality. You know, the very context for the miracle, a miracle that changed this man's life in a way he never had thought possible. 
was the fact that as Jesus was passing by, he stopped and he saw a man born blind from birth. Jesus' actions were specific, purposeful, intentional. Again, I reiterate that Jesus saw. He saw a man. As Jesus walked the Jerusalem streets, he saw this individual. From Jesus' perspective, the man's blindness, it was not the judgment of God. It was just the condition. It wasn't his identity. Jesus saw so much more than what the world saw. Oh, the world concluded him to be. Jesus saw this individual as a creation of God. He was a man. He was a human being afflicted by life. Life lived with the tragic state of fallenness. I'm sure his condition was not caused by a specific sin that he had committed or his parents, but it is true still that the man, while he had not done anything to cause what had befallen him, it was the effects of sin in a more broad sense. The effect of sin, how it has wrought this world that had taken a toll on him. He had been born blind. That was, was not God's original intention. God saw a man, even when the man couldn't see him. You know, while you're difficult in trying situation, whatever it is you're going through, and I don't know what it is, we're all going through something. And in an often case, it's not our fault. It's not your fault. Religion's very quick to judge people that are suffering. To find a causation, reason why. But it's not your fault. Sometimes you just get dealt a raw hand. And it's in those situations, I get it, friend, I've been there, that it can be very difficult to see Jesus. Very difficult. But I want you to be encouraged that even while you might struggle to see him, he sees you anyway. He knows what you're going through. He knows your plight. He knows your affliction. You know, Jesus does not reside on some lofty perch, ignorant of what it's like to be human. The trying things of life. But more than all of it all, He sees beyond these things. He sees you. He sees the person God made and not the person you may be present with. He sees you even when you don't see Him. Secondly, in this man... Jesus saw a human need and not a theological conundrum. I think this is a good point for anyone that's in ministry. So often it's, it's just it's easy to get into the psycho babble and the analyzation of things. You know, to come up with some explanation of the right word, which is like, it's just about people. The disciples saw the man and thought about theology. Jesus saw the man and thought about his need. One of the interesting contrasts presented in the text is the way that Jesus saw, again, this man as opposed to the way the disciples did. The disciples saw him and grew focused on how 
You know, getting down to the root cause behind his blindness would be important for a remedy, but Jesus was more interested in just addressing a need. And you know, again, I can relate to the disciples. So much, so, so often it's easy to, to take on the approach of the disciples than Jesus. And here's why. We live in an age where we falsely believe that an explanation for how a need has arisen is paramount to discovering a solution to, to the said need. But that only ends up often yielding legalistic remedies. Let me give you a, a few examples to this. You know, when you're faced with an alcoholic or an, some of the, an addict, we will often immediately dive into all the varying causes for the behavior, believing that if we can identify the cause for the behavior, we can then set a, a path for liberty. In essence, a 12-step program. But that often fails. Along a similar vein, when, when Christian counselors are faced with like marital strife, you're doing marital counseling, you'll immediately begin exploring the various ways each party has contributed to the problem, hoping it will reveal some helpful do's and don'ts for a remedy. Again, if we look at a problem and we can find its root cause, that gives us the solution. But here's the problem with that approach. Even if the man's blindness could be explained and attributed to a sin, that wouldn't have in and of itself yielded a remedy. So what if they pinpointed the cause of his blindness? Yep, it had been a sin he committed in the womb. He'd still be sitting there blind. You know, the truth to all sin is that there really is only one remedy, regardless of whatever causation. The remedy is an encounter with a Savior whose name is Jesus, who can heal people of blindness. The blind man had been told his entire life that his condition was the judgment of God. The man didn't need a diagnosis. He needed a solution. He needed a healer. Now, the grand problem for humanity is sin. And you. Your biggest problem is you. It's not your upbringing. It's not your parents. It's not that dog of an ex-husband you had. It's not that terrible job. It's not your neighbor. It's not the Atlanta Braves. You are your problem. That's what the Bible says. Sin. You. You were born broken. And because sin is the culprit, whatever manifests from you being your problem, the ultimate remedy is to fix you. And that's Jesus. You see, the power of grace is found in the reality that, well, yeah, it affirms you're broken. What's it interested in doing? Not fine-tuning behavior, changing the heart. If you change what a person does, you don't necessarily change the heart of the person. If you change the heart of a person, you will always change what that person does. Thirdly, hardships always present opportunities for Jesus to reveal himself in a way you could have never expected. And I know this one's tough. That is a difficult pill to swallow. But there is no question 
that the man's blindness was instrumental in facilitating an encounter with Jesus, a unique encounter, a special encounter. In this particular situation, while his condition was not a consequence of a particular sin, his blindness did foster an opportunity for God to work in his life and to reveal himself in a new way. Again, I don't know what what hardships you may become to church bearing. I know some of the hardships many of you have been going through. And the truth is that maybe it's difficult to see Jesus in it. Maybe it's hard because it's, it's painful. But I want you to know that if you allow Jesus... Whatever it is that you go through, if you make it through to the other side, if you allow him to help you through to the other side, you will see Jesus. He will meet a need in a way that reveals a part of him you couldn't know. Deep pains cause deep remedies, but result in deep encounters. Like I can say from personal experience that it's often in the times when I'm at my my weakest that the conditions end up being established where I can experience a supernatural strength. That I have to reach the end of me to find Him. I wish there were another way. I'm hard-headed. That's often the only way. And yet when I get to that point, I encounter something I didn't know was there. I I encounter a depth of Jesus and His love for me I didn't even know was possible. This man was blind, But how does the story end? He sees Jesus. Fourth, Jesus will often work in a way you least expect it. Again, this blind man. Yeah, he understood his problem. He's blind. He didn't know what to do about it. There was nothing. He spent his life just surviving to live another day. His life was in routine. You want to call it a rut? Go for it. He knew nothing else. Sometimes it feels familiar, doesn't it? You know, in no way did that man wake up that morning expecting to be healed and see. He took up a familiar place on a normal street corner with zero expectations that his life would be interrupted by the light of the world. The day, his days, were mundane. But that day he would gain clarity and find meaning and be filled with purpose. Not only did Jesus see him in his blindness, but Jesus had decided to change the man forever, even while he couldn't see Jesus, even while he was ignorant of the plan. Beyond this spitting in the, in the dirt to make mud to smear into his eyes, man had no idea what was going on. I have found that Jesus often works And you can only see it in hindsight. I'll give that, looking back. But that Jesus often works when you least expect it. And he often works in a way that's completely unexpected. If you're sitting there this morning thinking, I have no idea how Jesus can can fix this. I have no idea how Jesus can remedy this. I have no idea. It seems impossible. Well, you share the plight of the blind man. But Jesus can, and he will, and he does. But expect it to be in a way you didn't think. 
It's Jesus' style. Finally, and close with it, Jesus, big picture, came to give sight to blind people. You know, our, our culture seems to be obsessed with all kinds of, of other things, social justice and the like, to the point that the church is, has become overly consumed with changing conditions versus seeing the transformation of people. And the approach, again, I believe is misguided. And that's not to say, and I hate to, to add qualifiers, that, that Jesus didn't care about the man's physical needs. He did. Or that Jesus didn't care about his blindness. The effects that it had practically, sure, I'm sure he did. And yet Jesus knew the most potent way to affect the man's situation and conditions was to change the man. Now there's some of you that are here or watching online and you don't even know what it is you're missing. Like this man, blindness is all you've ever known. You come to church, you hear me talk, you hang around Christians, and you think to yourself from time to time, what planet are these people living on? And the reason you think that is that you can't see. You can't see what we see. You're blind. There's a correlation to this. And yet I want you to know that Jesus, the work that he wants to do, it's very similar to what he does in the life of this man, which makes him a great illustration for us all. Jesus doesn't want to just fix your situation or your problems. He wants to fix you by giving you the ability to see. And not just to see the world around you, he also wants to give you the ability to have vision so that you not just see, but you can process You see, Jesus wants to perform a miracle where he takes people that are absolutely blind and ignorant to the world around them, and he wants to transform something. He wants to change something that that affects it all. You know, why didn't the man resist Jesus when he had mud plastered in his eyes? Again, there's no way for him to know what Jesus was doing. But don't forget that he had heard what Jesus had said before Jesus acted. The man had heard Jesus say of him, neither this man nor his parents had sinned, but the works of God should be revealed in him. You know, I believe that the man was willing to go along with it. He was willing to embrace Jesus' initial touch, as awkward as that might have been. Jesus, this man was allowed to give Jesus room, space to work, And then he was willing to obey the instructions to go and wash. Why? Because Jesus didn't condemn him. And Jesus didn't judge him. He heard that Jesus wanted to work in him. That was radical. And so when Jesus did what he did and provided the instructions that he gave, the man figured he had nothing to lose in what resulted A profound miracle. This morning you might hear Jesus in that still small voice. Speaking into your life. I don't judge you. I'm not here to condemn you. I want to change you and transform you. Yeah, your life to this point has brought you to this moment. So that you could experience a work of God. A work that I want to do. Something I want to accomplish. And you might think this is nuts. 
What do you have to lose? Giving Jesus a chance. Well, I just, you can't see. Jesus wants to give you sight and to give you vision. This man allowed Jesus to work in his life. Will you do the same? So, Father, Lord, we thank you for your word and what it says to us, the simple applications of it. 